chill out, bro. I'm def. I am definitely. I am definitely about the sneakerhead life. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, bro. Now I don't. I don't out here. I'm not out here spending money that I don't have on sneakers. That's like the real epitome of a sneakerhead. But I'm definitely somewhat of a sneakerhead. I I don't buy basketball shoes though. I buy tennis shoes. Uh, nice. Well, we are officially we are officially live on YouTube right now, not publicly, obviously. It's an unlisted I podcast. You, I see that you put like your uh, your fucking at shit on here, but our at shit ain't on here. I mean, you sound you sound hurt about that. Are you okay? I am in in my feelings. No one's ever gonna see this. It's an audio medium. Uh, yeah. So. Still hate you, but whatever. <laughs> Still hate you. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> we'll start the podcast with that. All right, are we ready? Yeah, let's roll. All right, in three, two, one. I can hear Cam can in the hear. background. Dude, we're, we are doing our podcast and he can hear you talking. Yeah, bro, we're trying to do a podcast. Thanks so much. A podcast that millions of people listen to. So I'm going to need you yeah. to hush. It's like a million people listen to this in our own minds. And 999,999 are me and my mom. Me and my moms listen to it. Me and my mom. All right, here we go. Let's try this again. Three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Tapes. I got my boy Cam Brady with me, Dan Kylie. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been obviously reviewing sports movies. This is the podcast that we do that. We come in here, we talk about sports movies that we love, some of them that we don't. Like, we started with Any Given Sunday. Uh, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it. Um, not one of my favorite movies. The last couple, we've been on a run, man. We've been hitting some really, really great uh, sports movies. We hit Happy Gilmore last week. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and check that one out in your little feed there. Um, before we get into tonight's episode, I do want to ask you, please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you find this podcast, we would appreciate it if you give us that rating. That's how we jump up the boards. That's how we jump up the charts. That's how this podcast gets put in front of more and more people. And that's kind of what it's about, man, spreading the love on this podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't only do the subscribe, the rate, and the reviewing. Tell your friends, man. Tell your family that we got something good going on over here. And typically, we got some good laughs going on in this podcast. Tonight episode, tonight's episode is going to be just a tad bit different. Um, for the first time, we are not doing a comedy. Okay, most of well, I guess any given Sunday wasn't a comedy. It was comedically bad, um, in my opinion. But all the other movies that we've been hitting on, they're kind of you know just actual comedy movies. Tonight, not so much. There though are there, though there are some laughs in this movie. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much a straight laced Disney sports movie. Um, very similar to Remember the Titans. It's basically the basketball version of it. Um, and that is Glory Road. Um, just a brief overview of this movie. If I can get back to my notes. Um, plot summary right here for you. Following initial victories after, against mediocre local... Oh, that's the second one. Excuse me. I'm a little rusty tonight on the podcast platform. Um, newly appointed men's basketball coach Don Haskins gets a new job at Texas Western College in El Paso, Texas, now known as UTEP, the University of Texas, El Paso. Lacking necessary financial resources, he makes an effort to recruit the best players regardless of race to form a team that can compete for a national championship some of the young men he brings in possess skill but are raw in talent when it comes to organized teamwork focusing on defense and ball distribution in the end his texas western miners team 
comprises seven black players and five white athletes, uh, a balance that raises eyebrows among university personnel. Haskins puts his players through a rigorous training program, threatening to cut anyone who doesn't work as hard as he demands while trying to integrate his players into a single team with a common goal. Okay, so this isn't going to be your regular Tailgate Tapes podcast. Again, we're going to try to have some laughs here tonight, but this one is more about some historical context um, and some real conversations about an actual movie, right? One that's not set out to make you laugh or to make you giggle um, the entire time, like a Happy Gilmore is, but one that's more thought-provoking and and here to tell a story. This is obviously a true story about the Texas um, Western basketball team that was the first basketball team to start five black uh, basketball players and win a national title against the historic Kentucky Wildcats. All right, so again, we got Cam Brady here with us. We got Dan Kylie. Cam, we will start with you. Um, I know we were talking off-air before the show got started, you were pleasantly surprised with this movie, were you not? Yeah, I absolutely was. So um, I've never seen it before. Um, don't really know how I missed it because I'm right in the sweet spot of uh, when it came out. But I, I kind of had my impressions that it was going to be a uh, kind of a watered-down version maybe of uh, Remember the Titans. Um, that was the kind of vibe I thought we'd have going in. And it, it's similar, but it has a very different vibe, uh, a much more real vibe than Remember the Titans has at times. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I, I think this is a good movie. I think it did what it wanted to do, um, but you also enjoyed uh, getting that message across. Yeah, right. I mean, Remember the Titans was, I mean, it was a, it was based on a true story. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but this is an actual historical story. I mean, every high school, every region in America had their integration story when it comes to sports, when it comes to high schools around the country, whereas this story about Texas Western basketball was a true trailblazer, and I think they nailed that, or they hit the nail on the head with this movie um, in terms of being trailblazers in college basketball. Dan, you're our basketball resident. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, you know a little football, you know a little apparently AAA umpiring and stuff like that, call back to a previous show, um, but you are a basketball family over there in the Kylie household. Um, what were your thoughts about Glory Road? So I just have to preface that with this is probably one of my favorite sports movies of all time. So if I'm a little over the top, that's why. I love this movie. It means a lot to me personally. Now, Remember the Titans is a movie that we will cover, in, and I know that's one of your favorites, Brooks. Yeah. But Remember the Titans took a lot of liberties. Liberties, thank you. A lot of liberties in, in completely changed stories, made games close that were never close, and made things, you know, just basically a fictional story to make. But with this one, with this particular movie, and with this particular story, they had to stay true to what really happened because of the people involved. You had Adolph Rupp, who's one of the most legendary coaches of all time, involved in the story. Uh, Haskins, who ended up being one of the winningest coaches in NCAA history, involved in this. You had you know, major conferences, major basketball. This was extremely important for how people progressed in the game of basketball. You know, integrating the black athlete into college basketball. This is extremely important. They had to be truthful with this story, and I think they did a fantastic job of telling an absolutely fantastic story. Yeah, they took some leniencies here and there. I'm sure we'll get to that as we get throughout the podcast. 
Um, but I, I guess let's go ahead and set the opening scene. That's another thing I think this movie did a really good job of. Of it, like like we talked about with some of these previous movies that we've talked about. Um, very good job of laying the scene work of of what's about to go down in this movie. Um, and, and you get an exact replica or an exact opening of exactly who Dan Haskins is. Um, the opening scene of this movie, he's yelling at you can't see the players yet, but he's yelling at him talking about, "Hey, you guys are playing like girls right now. Do you want me to get you a skirt?" Turns out they're actually girls. He is a girls basketball coach out there in West Texas. Um, and we get the first you know, interview of him at Texas Western um, where you realize that they're not all that interested in actually making it a good basketball program. There is nothing in this interview where you'll see Haskins, like he's trying to implement his style of coaching, what he wants to do, what his plans are with the basketball program, and the president just keeps cutting him off. He's like just telling him like, hey, look, basically we're not really interested in what you got to tell us. We're just here to make sure you want to take this job, um, and this job ain't that great of one. You're going to end up living in the dorm room, um, and basically your job is there. You're, you're there to keep these guys under control um, and keep these basketball players under control. Um, and then we find out as we move through forward and, and as we go through, you know, the first couple of scenes where he's going to, you know, local high schools that he's not really having that great of a, a run at recruiting some of the more, you know, more highly known and highly touted basketball players. Yeah, Dan. Well, it's, it's actually kind of funny to me because he goes to the interview thinking it is an interview. Yeah. And basically, basically they've already given him the job and he, he's completely unaware. It's like, they're just so excited that somebody actually showed up to even consider the job that, you know, they're, they're telling him how it's going to work for him. And he, he thinks it's an interview and that, that, you know, you said there's not a lot of comedy in the movie, so you kind of have to look for it. And to me, that was kind of funny because here, here's a guy who's coaching high school girls and he's doing a good job and, and there's no disrespect. My, the greatest coach I ever had is a guy named Jason Adams, and he is the girls' coach at Tequila High School right now, and probably the best coach I ever had. But he decided to go a different route. But so it's no slight the fact that he's coaching girls. But here he is thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm a high school girls' basketball coach. I'm gonna have to step up my game to go be a D1 basketball coach." And they're like, "No, no, no, no. As long as you live in the dorm, yeah, this is your good. job." Yeah, there's no money here. We don't care. Like it's just go live in the dorms, hang out. Make sure you're, you know, surviving, and that's fine. Anything outside of that is just, you know, cherry on top, which Haskins has a great quote in that, in that scene right there um, talking about, you know, being average is not good enough for me or mediocre is not good enough for me. Um, and it sets the tone that this guy's going to do something that is probably borderline outside the box. It's definitely outside the box, obviously. Um, like well, I said, to start Trailblazer. Yeah. And right before that, he said something that's very true. Brooks, you've talked about this um, in our Discord. Coaches will do just about anything mm -hmm. to get that opportunity to get that first big job. This is a He said, if this is what it takes for me to coach D1 basketball, I'll do it. I'm in. And that is real. Yeah, and they, they do a really good job of explaining just how bad the situation is at the school, right? He walks on, and there's that great shot they show of his feet. And he's stepping on the hardwoods, and the hardwoods got squeaky floors, right? There's loose boards on the hardwood. Um, and he's talking about getting a budget for recruiting. And his little assistant that he brought with him from his high school uh, women's basketball team basically says, um, they told us the budget's in the lights. And then they look up at the lights, and there's like buzzards flying in the lights and stuff. So they do a really good job of explaining to you that, look, this is, this is a, a terrible basketball program. Um, there's also a quote in there 
that says, uh, and we're going to get to this eventually, I guess it's the athletic director because, like, he met with the president, right? And then the athletic director was the one. He was scouting him to, to take the head coaching job. And he tells him that football is key here. Basketball sucks the hind tit, which is something I've never heard of. But it makes, like, I, I understand what the reference is. I guess it's just old Texas language. But, like, you guys are on the backside of the backside. Like, we don't care about y'all. All the money in this program goes to the football program, which, I mean, if we're being honest, that that's something that holds true to, to even today in a lot of major programs. One of which, I mean, I Georgia's bat Georgia basketball sucks the hind tit at the University of Georgia. That that is a hundred percent facts right there. Um, as does most of the other programs um, there. All the investment, all that, all, all the time, and and for the lack of matter, all all the fan base cares about is whether or not football is winning. If basketball wins, that's okay. Um, you know, it's great. It's a good story. But if the football team ain't winning, then ain't nobody winning, right? It's like the old saying, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If the Georgia football team ain't happy, then nobody's happy on that campus. Um, but, yeah, we, I mean, we, we, we get some great openers right here. And then I think we get the best montage of the movie. You can call it a montage. I don't know what you would call it. But the recruiting scenes, right, when they send the coaching staffs all across the country have some of the best scenes in the movie cam what, what was one of your favorite scenes of this this recruiting montage if you will right they send the assistant up to new york um they send the head coach out there to philly um or maybe indiana they, they send them all across the country um to start recruiting what they refer to as playground basketball players which is another term of just saying hey we're going out to recruit black kids um cam what, what, what's your favorite scene of that montage if you will Oh, it's definitely when he's in – it's Gary, Indiana, where he's with, uh, I think, I can't – Flournay, maybe. Um, I'm pronouncing it as – Flournoy. Harry. Uh, yeah, Harry. <laughs> uh, and he's talking, and uh, he, he meets – first, he, you know, he's uh, he's he, trying to catch him on the street and talk to him. And and that scene actually kind of hit me hard. No, he, pulls, it's like, he pulls up to him at his work at the steel factory and, like, rolls the window down. And he's like, hey, boy, can I talk to you for a minute? And then, then he was like, hey, boy, and he says it again. And then he looks at his buddy and goes, run. And then they run for the train because they think they're about to get jumped. And then he sees him again in the street. But go ahead. Yeah, and to me, that kind of hit me hard because it's like, you know, he's just trying to recruit him. But this kid, you know, is fearing for his life. But it's, it, it mellows it out with the funniness of uh, he's not interested to go play college basketball. He's got a good job at the steel mill. Yeah. Uh, but his mom really wants him to go. And his mom says, you know, we're Christian folk in this home. Yeah. And the coach says, you know, I, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you what day church is on. And she goes, well, uh, that's okay. We're all saved by the grace. She doesn't care. She just no. wants them to go to college. It's also like a real. It's not. It's not necessarily funny, but the the way it's delivered and how subtle it is and how quick it is. Um, his mom tells Harry, he's like, Coach Haskins here wants you to go out to Texas, and Harry goes to get what lynched. Like, like going to Texas, like, what are you talking about? Why would we go out there? And then, yeah, she, I mean, she wants him to go out there and get a college degree. That is very, very evident. And we get a callback of that later on in the movie. Uh, but no, the, the, the best part of that scene, in my opinion, is when he's like, mama, you ain't going to believe what happened to me today. These two white jokers tried to, they tried to uh, mug me. I guess they just wanted a piece of that. And he runs, he walks around the corner, sees Coach Haskins, he's like, 
a piece of that pie. And he's sitting there eating the pie on the couch, talking to mama. And it holds true, man. It holds true. Even to today, if you can win the living room, whether you're in uh, uh, Gary, Indiana, whether you're in the Bronx, New York, whether you're in Atlanta, Georgia, whether you're in Savannah, Georgia, it don't matter if as a head coach and as a recruiter, you can go in and you can win the household. You can win mom. You can win dad. You're probably going to win the kid and I mean that that's the God's honest truth about recruiting um and, and and this scene sets the tone on that Dan favorite of the recruiting montage scenes uh for you well I think for me it starts at the very beginning and because you can see oh yeah Bobby Joe yeah so this is where everything triggers he, he's getting so frustrated the the one kid um Stevens I believe is his name and he says uh you know him hey, the coach of Texas Western he says Texas. He goes Western Union, whatever. Yeah, like the bank. He goes, the, yeah, he's like he's like coach. No, no. He's like I, I'm partial to winning, whatever. Yeah. I mean that kid's a dick. So I'm glad he sucked. Well, he ends um, up call back later. They end up beating him because he ends up going to yeah. East Texas. So, yeah, yeah. So you know, good job. I'm glad you went to Kansas, jackass. Um, but anyway, um, so you know they were talking about the the uh, the, the trainer says, hey, what about that big tall kid and. He's like, well, he's going to Kansas, and he, and he's just he's frustrated, and you can see him. He's just he's got that look on his face where he's just like, you know, I don't have a shot with any of these kids. And he sees Bobby Joe Hill sitting at the end of the bench and so basically sleeping. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically asleep. And he goes in and tears it up, and he, you know, he goes to the locker room and he, to the coach, and the coach is like, uh, horrible scene. They set the tone horrible. right quick that you're gonna oh, get some, God. you're like, gonna get some racism I, in this movie. There's a yeah, hard I mean, R in there. I mean, it's it's oh, bad. It's uh, bad. Yeah. I mean, it's unco- un- uncomfortably bad, especially for a Disney it, movie. I was shocked. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, and when that's not part of your vocabulary, when you hear it that way, especially yeah. – that's the effect they were going for because they wanted you to understand how crooked it was. Yeah, they then. don't want you comfortable. They, they no, don't want it, you comfortable it, in this movie. It's such a powerful scene for me because – when he goes to finally talk to him, you can see the defeat, and you can hear the defeat in Billy Bobby Joe's voice that he's never been given a fair chance. And Haskins takes the approach of he meets his aggression with aggression, and that's how he recruited him because Bobby Joe comes at him and says, basically, Coach, you know, you don't want to see me be successful. And he comes back to him with – You want the quote because it's one of the best ones? Sure, go ahead. The quote from Bobby Joe Hill is um, basically like, you don't understand. Do you know how it feels to make magic with that ball in your hand? And he goes, it's like making sweet music with your game. The only thing is you don't want to hear the song. He's talking to to Coach Haskins. He's like, you're just another one of these guys. You don't want to hear the music that I can make with my game. Like, you don't want this. Like, I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you're lying to yourself. And then you get the scene of him walking out there. And you're right. He does – like, I was almost like, wow, he's being really, really aggressive here with this kid. But, I mean, I guess that's the way he thought he could only get through to him. Maybe that's the way they just wrote the script. Absolutely, because he came back with him. He was like, you know what? You talk a good game. Yeah. And if you think about it, right, a lot of young athletes talk a good game. Yep. Right, it, your they, son they, included, it, by the way. Sure, <laughs> yeah, the, the, it's it's a uh, it's it's a little bit of, um, you know, unsuredness. Like they, yeah, they they talk a big game because they, they're trying to hide their insecurities. So he attacks that insecurity right away, and he wins him over. 
And that is the turning point in the movie where you, where he realizes like there's a different way to go about this. I almost thought about it, and maybe the, I, I don't know the true story. Maybe Cam's done some research on this. Um, but the movie almost portrays Haskins as having this green light moment of, hey, I'm not going to get these really good white players to come play for me, so I guess I'm just going to recruit these black kids. Um, now, I like he he doesn't he obviously doesn't see color. He's good with it, but when I first watched it, I was like, if he lands, if he actually has the ability to land the kids that want to go to play for East Texas or land the kids that want to go play for Kansas, does this ever happen? Do we push this you know trailblazing moment down the road a couple of years until there's another losing program that doesn't have the opportunity to do this? Because that's the way the movie portrayed it initially. Cam, do you have anything on this? Oh, so not specifically, but you talked about a green light moment. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, you know, Dan said, they don't take a lot of liberties in the movie, but they do take a few. Um, and one of them that they took is this, um, the national championship season wasn't his first year at mm-hmm. Texas Western, which is actually UTEP now. Yeah. Um, so um, it was actually his fifth season. Um, so he was losing. Fourth season. And so it actually, so it talks about when he, you know, you read up on it, this actually wasn't like just a, a light bulb that went off in his mind. It was something that kind of developed over time. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's more of a, a natural progression to say, these are good players. Let's yeah. just go get these players instead of these are the only players we can get. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as a, as a smaller college, you have to go um, with players that would be interested. You know, it's not worth your time to recruit players that'll never come to your school. Um, so if these people are the only people that'll listen, then that's who you're going to. Yeah. And anybody looking to do any research will realize that this couldn't have happened the first year because those kids were not all in the same class. Yeah. They were all different ages. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie. They're going to take some liberties with it. But I, I just thought that that should be pointed out that they definitely portrayed this guy as striking out with his initial list, right? The guys that he was initially going after. And still, yet, despite how talented these young black players were, it took a missing on the kid going to East Texas. It took a missing on the big white center going to Kansas. But to not even have an opportunity, right? Um, They show a couple of clips of Kansas coaches walking in while he's recruiting other kids and them just walking away from him. Uh, Meanwhile, Bobby Joe Hill's at the end of the line. And then it's like this, boom, light bulb moment. It was like, oh, I can get these guys. Let me go recruit these guys, which – to me, it didn't it didn't necessarily sit wrong with me, but it made me realize like, hey, this isn't exactly some savior. This is a guy that was identifying something that could get him to win basketball games, right? I mean, it's not some guy that was set out in a mission like uh like uh, uh Mr. Ricky, Branch Ricky, uh in in the story about Jackie Robinson. That guy was actually trying to go out of his way to be a trailblazer and break the color barrier in baseball. This doesn't seem like that based off the way the movie was portrayed. And I could be wrong, but even the history says that it sounds like he was doing some losing trying to recruit other guys that he thought he was going to have a run at before he finally decided, like, this is my way in to actually win basketball games. Well, I think a lot of times big change become, comes out of convenience, right? Or, or necessity. What it's a, necessity is the mother of an all invention, right? Yeah. So I think – I, I don't think that they tried to spin it as he was a, a trailblazer. I think they tried to spin it. As he's an opportunist. He, he realized the only way he was going to win was to get these black players. But then through that process, I believe, I believe, and this is my opinion, this is not fact, 
I believe he started to understand that relationship and build on that relationship. And, and we've all been in those situations, right? Maybe we got into a situation because it was convenient or, or it was a necessity, but then we learned something in that situation and then we were kind of actually thankful that it happened that way, right? Mm -hmm. But I, my opinion would be that's how this played out. He realized the only way he was going to be successful was to go in this direction. But because he did go in that direction, he himself learned a valuable lesson and it worked out great for everybody. And that's my opinion. And that's the way I look at it. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just a couple thoughts to kind of wrap this up. Um, I don't think it really takes away from his decision to do it um, no. because there's plenty of coaches that wouldn't do that. That still in that wouldn't have done it. You're right. right. And I was going to close with that. I mean, someone oh. still had to break the barrier. Someone still, I, he was still putting his job on the line, right? I mean, there are multiple characters in this movie, multiple high, you know, high-powered decision makers at Texas Western that are just not comfortable with what Coach Haskin was ultimately doing with their basketball program, right, Cam? Yeah, and I, I want to, I mean, just you know, kind of, and maybe this is more of like a closing thought for the thing, uh, the uh, show, or, or yeah, for the show and the movie itself. But um, I think this is really. This is a good story. It's historical, and it's a good thing to point to to say this is the thing that brought us forward. But it's really um, not an amalgamation, but it's indicative of all the other stories and all the other coaches that have done stuff similar in the past. Because, I mean, he's not the first coach to have black players. I mean, some of the teams we see even have majority black players at this time and have had success with it. Um but they're they're the ones who got it done, and they're the easy example to point to. And it, and it just is a good story. So, um, like I said, it doesn't take away from the decisions he made and how great of a thing it was. It just uh, highlights all the other struggles people have had. A hundred percent. Go ahead. I, there was a little line in so in the transition between. So he goes to get Bobby Bobby Joe right. Yeah. And then they're they're putting the roadmap together to go get all the rest of them right. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the spiritual the director, trainer, trainer yeah. guy, the, the, he says the rules. Uh, yeah, he says uh, acting like Negroes are going to be the future of basketball. Could you imagine that? And yeah. th listen, I, I understand that it's it's not right or whatever, but there's a lot of comedy in that because people actually believed that back then, and and it's that's so a, so ludicrous. That's that, a note. That's a note that I have, and it's something that Cam and I talked about, Dan, before you hopped on. The craziest thing to me about this movie is as I'm watching it um, and, and as I'm rewatching it, because I watched it several times growing up, is that, I mean, this, this was like a generation ago. This was like 60 years ago. This movie takes place in 1965. This was not long ago. I was telling Cam this. I'm 26 years old. My grandparents were like, you know, mature adults during this time period. I mean, this is the, we are one, I guess, technically two generations away from this thought process where people are walking around thinking that, you know, black basketball players are just less intelligent than white basketball players. Like, we're, we're not far removed from that. Now, we've come a long way in 60 years, but it, it's right behind us. It's literally right there. That is our past. I mean, this, this is God's honest truth. I'm less than a teenager away from that group yeah. of people. I mean, you have to understand, I was born in 79. Yeah, and in the early '80s, there were still a lot of white people. I mean, there still is today. I mean, who are yeah. we kidding? Yeah, we're not. But it hasn't been solved. Nothing's been solved. But no, but it uh, was pervasive. I mean, when I grew up, I you have to understand where I grew up. I grew up in an all black area. Yeah. So when I when we moved out of there, we moved uh, up to Wisconsin, where we and there was no black people. Yeah. So the, the when you move into an area like that, there it's not that they're 
I'm not going to say that every person is bad. That's not the truth. But, like, they're not familiar with them. Uh-uh. Right? Like, there's a great scene in there when they first get on the campus where he just keeps looking down the table at him. He's like, what's wrong? Have you never seen a black man before? And he's like, no. No, I haven't. And he's like, you got to get off the farm, Armstrong. Cam, what do you got? Um, I would say, I mean, just to tie into the comedy of that line that the coach says, yeah. I mean, at that time, the two top, two of the top players were Elgin Baylor and Wilt Chamberlain in the NBA. So to act like, you know, um, black players uh, weren't a big part or the future of basketball, that was pretty self-evident. It just goes to show you how backwards some places were during that time period. Absolutely. The best, just a, the best college basketball player at that time was a kid of Kansas that they played later. Uh, what was his name? Uh Jojo White. Jojo White. Yeah. And I mean, we're three white dudes talking about this, right? And and I'm tr- we're trying to be as comfortable in this conversation as we are and, and, and make it as, you know, not, not necessarily meaningful or life-changer, but educate, not necessarily even educational. We're just trying to talk these things out um, and be comfortable with these, th- these types of conversations because I think that's how we move the ball forward, guys, honestly. Being able to sit down and have con- or contextual conversations about the idea that is race and be okay with it and be able to talk about it and be able to actually have conversations about it and move forward with it um, you- and, and be God's honest truth about it. You know, Brooks, we have a real advantage, you and I. Uh, we grew up in locker rooms. Yes. And in our locker rooms. And and affluent areas, I would say. Yeah. But when you went to college, it yeah. was not an all-white football team. Mm-mm. No way in hell that was an all-white football team. And because of the situation that you're in in football and the hell that your coaching staff puts you through on purpose – you rely on one another and you become very comfortable with one another and you have conversations. There are things that you will never say publicly on air that you talked about in that locker room, but you felt comfortable talking about in that locker room because you guys were brothers and we didn't see it any other way. And we had those conversations because it's almost forced upon you, you know, and and you just, people don't want to believe that, but in a locker room, you just don't see it any other way. It's just, that's just the other guy. He's nothing other than just the other guy. That's you don't, your brother. You don't see it the other way, but if you do, you are very quickly corrected. I would say that Oh, hell right yes, there. you are. You're very quickly corrected, and there is no fear of those conversations to correct you. Um, and, you know, that that's the way it is. Cam, what's up? I would say that ties in really well. Um, I kind of had those same experiences growing up um, with the uh, the house party scene that comes up soon after this. Um, yeah. Where they all go to the house party together and they're having those conversations, yes. you know, out after the party about and being bad, I, right? Right. And I yeah. told my wife, I told my wife, I said, "That's that's the most real part of this movie. I don't care what else they do. Yeah. That is the most real part of this movie." And she goes, "Really?" And I'm like, "Absolutely. That is something that would happen. Um, it, it absolutely is." And you know, they're 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 learning to listen to the same music together, right? And and, and learning how to dance and. And being culturalized because that that's important. That's an important aspect about what Dan's talking about. Where where you're you're a conglomerate inside of a locker room. You are one body. You are one mind. You are one soul. Um, and the only way to do that is to do your best to meet in the middle. Um, and I think that's a great part about this bat or about this movie in general. Um, I, we missed one of our favorite, one of my favorite recruiting uh, moments in that montage. Is when he gets his clothes stolen off of him. The the assistant gets his clothes stolen off of him in New yes. York because he 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 talks about the three names and he goes, "I'm looking for." And they're three colored boys, and he's like around nothing but you know young black men. They're like, 
oh, hell no, this dude don't know where he's at. And then they stop their game, and then he calls the coach, and he's like, oh, by the way, I had a little run-in up here. Um, can you wire me another $100? And then they show him the wide shot, and he's nothing. He's in nothing but his boxers. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great scene right there uh, and, a, and a funny moment in this movie. I think they do a great job, much better job than we have so far in this podcast of keeping these discussions very lighthearted, right? Um, they, they go through these things, and they, they, they're allowed to – well, except for in the middle part of the movie, there's some stuff that just gut, is gut-wrenching um, in terms of the racism. Um, but they, they do a great job early on in this movie going through some of these things with a lighthearted nature while getting their audience warmed up for what they're ultimately going to do midway through the movie. Um, I guess where we go next would be, um, oh, David Latin. David Latin showing up. I'm going to tell you right now, David oh. Latin fucks. David Latin fucks. That dude pulls. I'm telling you right now. And the other thing Cam and I were talking about, I don't know why David Latin pulls up in the nicest car we see in the entire movie. Anybody know why? Is there any research there? Why David Latin is a stud and has like all this cash, it seems to be. Um, Cam, any theories? Oh, I mean, all I've got is he, you know, he, he caught a McDonald's bag uh, yeah. real early in the recruiting process. You think it's a, you think well, it's a hat tip to, to recruiting money. And we've did some research on this. He was an All-American coming out of high school and he didn't start his career at Texas Western. He went to another school and then came to Texas Western after he's from Houston. Damn well, they, they make a, a mention and there's no historical facts to back it up. But he makes a mention where he's like something about. You're getting, you know, you, you have not, you're going to have the ability to talk to David Latt. And he's like, don't worry, I, I got, I got somebody working on that. And he, I mean, he straight oh. up says it in the movie. He's like, I got somebody working on that. So, hey, you think they, yeah, you yeah. think they slid David Latt in a little quiche? Is I think saying? the only thing I read was a little quiche on the side. Been, there may have been some situation where he kind of got found out somewhere else. Ah. Does, that that's the only thing I could find, and it, it did not spill it out. It just kind of said that there was some talk, and maybe that's how he ended up there. Also, some in this recruiting aspect of the movie, there's some there's a great scene in there where the kids from Brooklyn are all riding a bus together um, with the trainer and the spiritual coach driving them, and they're like, "Yo, where in the hell are we at? Like, we're the first black men to ever get on the moon. Like, because like they don't, they've never been outside of Brooklyn, it appears, or damn sure never been that far into mid into the Midwest. And if you've never been to that part of the country, you're out there and you're like, bro, what is this? Like, it literally, I mean, it looks like something off of a movie, like something you would never have seen before. Um, I'll never forget the first time I went out to Colorado. I'm I'm out there expecting mountains and and the Rockies and all that stuff, and I'm driving out Midwest to Colorado, and I'm like, yo. Where, where's all the mountains? That John Denver's full of shit. Like, what, what is going on here, man? Rocky Mountain high my ass. I mean, what, where is this stuff at? Um, but, yeah, I, I, I can relate to this. Not, I can't personally relate to this, but I can only imagine that this stuff was real back in the day where kids just up and they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, a, a free chance at an education. I've never been to the school, but I'm just going to go because it's my only opportunity to get out of my current circumstance. Dan, you were holding your finger up. What's up? My first professional baseball game that I ever worked was in El Paso, Texas. Nice. They were the Diablos. It was 110 on the field, and I told the trainer, I said, I feel like my insides are cooking. And he looked at me square in the face and goes, it's because they are. <laughs> it's because and they are. 
So the, the, when we went down there, they told us, they said, listen, if you look across, that is Juarez. Do not go there or you will die. But it's crazy. At nighttime, when you're standing uh, on the U.S. side, and now El Paso is one of the safest places in America because it is super heavily Border patrolled Patrol. by Border yeah. Patrol. But when you're standing there, there is a band. It, it literally looks like a band. Like it, You can see the border. It is a visual thing. You can see a band of black. It's completely dark, no light. And then on the other side, completely lit up. It's like you can see the U.S. border because Juarez is on the other side and El Paso is on the side. But that, that scene is so factual. Cam, do you got it's anything? Just, oh, we can't get out of the recruiting talk without talking about this coach, you know, getting out there and playing with the player. This oh, washed yes. up thirty-something-year-old coach oh, yes. out there. Oh, I could got a bum knee. Played for Oklahoma State. They, he said they say A and M because Oklahoma. So I thought he was an Aggie, but it's actually Oklahoma A and M is where he played, um, which is now Oklahoma State. And he's got a bum knee, and he's he's gonna you know, what is it? Uh, it's uh, hold on, I've got it written down. Activity without accomplishment. Yeah, just does all the. It's a, it's another one of the showboatings, right? Don't be out here mm-hmm. showboating. Classic, classic trope of this movie um, and, and one of the lines I'm sure we're going to get to later. Um, also, you can tell coaches, like actor coach John Lucas, not a hooper. You notice that they never show him putting the ball on the deck, ever. And the one time that they do, they cut out of him in the scene really, really quickly. Duke cannot hoop. I'm telling you that right now. He put on 40 pounds for this movie. What? Yes. Why? Uh, he talked to the coach and the coach told him, you're too skinny to play me. Nice. He still doesn't. I mean, he doesn't look bad in this movie. No, I was shocked when I he must have looked like borderline Auschwitz before he put on that forty pounds. I mean, good lord, yeah, he was ripped. Okay, so, so good enough. But you're you're a hundred percent right. Um, that scene is hysterical because all of his buddies are sitting there laughing at him the entire time, and some girls that are in there watching him uh, hoop too. So yeah, that that is a hundred percent funny. Um, and then I, we, I guess we get into the season after this one, right? Um, they, they start playing together. Well, training camp. And we get classic Disney football, Disney sports movie where coach is just beating the hell out of these kids during practice. Dan, I have to ask you because you're our resident basketball guy, what the hell is 100 lines when, 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 he's, when he's punishing them because they go out drinking the first night and he's like, Y'all, he's like, hola. And he does the whole like scene about making fun of him for going out last night. Booby Miles, a.k.a. Uh, Bobby Joe burps or whatever. And he's like, yeah, what was that? Um, and then he's like, because you guys are selfish, we got 100 lines. I've never heard of 100 lines. I'm assuming it's something to do with gas. Suicide. Suicides. That's all it is? Yeah, but they nobody uses the term suicides anymore. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. But – Back then, they wouldn't have been called 100 lines. They would have been called suicides. And then after this scene, right, uh, Bobby Joe's talking about, I don't need this stuff. And then Coach Haskins comes up and gives him some more coach speak. Um, He does the, you quit right now, you're going to quit every day the rest of your life. But I did want to point something out here. John Lucas, a.k.a. Coach Haskins, dude's got some mean-ass eyebrows the entire movie. Y'all notice these things, bro? My man is like, my man's eyebrows is like almost swallowing the top of his eyes. They are insanely down the entire movie, just looking pissed off as all get out. Um, none other than that scene right there. And then we get my favorite scene before the season starts. Um, Harry's grades are bad, right? Harry, one of the kids from Brooklyn, 
And what's Coach Haskins do? Coach Haskins gets mama on a flight, gets mama on a bus, wherever it is. Mama that he was eating pie with in her in her living room, uh, very beginning of the movie. And we get a great scene where Harry's in class and he's in geology class, right? Because they're in a mining school. They're learning about rocks. And they're asking questions like, anybody know what, I don't know what the question was, but mama pokes her head behind Harry and goes, my son Harry knows the answer to that question. And then Harry answers the question. She asks another question. And mama sticks her head out again and goes, Harry knows the answer to that question. And the whole class is laughing and Harry's ripping him off because Harry done studied. Because Mama done shoved her foot up his ass. No doubt about that. Harry was not dumb. Harry just didn't give a shit. You're right. Because Harry said, I think the quote was, I'm a black man. What I need to know about rocks. I mean, that's that's what he said. Um, So, I I mean, just because you're black don't mean you can't be a geologist and a miner. But, you know, I think he ends up, it's actually, if you pay attention to the end credits at the end of the movie, I think Harry's one of the characters that actually starts – starts a foundation for underprivileged kids to graduate high school. Um, that's what he does in the area of El Paso. So um, he gives back to the community through, you know, education, something that the movie kind of portrays him to not care about early until, you know, mama sticks a knife in his butt um, and makes sure he's paying attention in class. So I love that scene. Uh, my son Harry can was a, was a great scene in that movie. And then we start playing games, right? Um, and, and they're kind of average until I think we get a – if you're a coach and you're watching this movie, I think you get a teaching point from this movie after, I think, the second game where Bobby Joe comes up to Haskins and says, hey, man, you got to let us play our game. And I think the, the thing that I took away from this was you've got to trust your players, man. Like, you have to. At some point when your – whatever you're teaching, whatever your principles are, whatever your – you know, if you're a defense and rebounding basketball team – at some point, if your team comes to you and says, Coach, we need to do this, at some point you've got to trust your basketball team or your football team or your baseball team. What's up, Dan? We'll go to you and then we'll go to Cam. Well, that's the, how they set it up. The very first game, they play a very average team. Yeah. And he forces them to play his game. And it's square peg around hole. Yep. Right? So this is the very second game that they show is Iowa, the number four ranked team in the country. That's the and second game. I think, the, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But, second yeah. game. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So the first game they beat a pathetic team. Yeah, sixty two to fifty eight, and then they play Iowa. Right. So Iowa, they're playing Iowa and they are getting run. And that you know, at halftime he says, Hey, you know, we gotta play our game. And he's like, No, you're gonna play my game. And they go out there and then he appeals to him one more time. He's like, Man, he's like, just let us play our game, coach. Like, we got you. Like I know he like it's that it's that real conversation that a, that a team leader can have with their coach where he's like, listen, I, I respect you. I get you. I understand. I, and I'm not saying that we don't believe in what you're trying to do, but you got to trust me too. You want me to trust you. You got to trust me. He's like, give me a chance. And this is the first time in the movie where Haskins releases that control and says, all right, I trust you, but don't, don't, Screw because he says you play your game, but you play my game too. Meaning, yeah, like, I'm gonna play, but respect my, you know, whatever. So it ends up working out, and that's that's when it's like I always like to say that's when they dropped the hammer. They're like, all right, now we can go. Yeah, and like there's a there, there's a moment right after Bobby Joe gets done talking to Haskins, he talks to another one of his players, and he's like, 
one of his teammates, he's like, all right, it's our time to go. And they dap up right there. He's like, you already know. And then they go out and they put some buckets on Iowa. Cam, you had something? Yeah, I was going to say, so these first two games of the season, I think, are kind of um, one of the transition points of the movie from um, we talked about earlier how they, they made this season the one season kind of emblematic of his first few seasons at the school yeah um because if you uh, go back and actually look at the scores of those games so the first game you know it was a relatively tight game they actually won 89 to 38 Whoa. Um, <laughs> in the actual season right Whoa. so i think so you tighten that up in the movie basically just to show uh to get that moment where they make the transition over and it just kind of shows his change in philosophy um, and I, I think that applies to a lot of the montage stuff we see during training. Um, those scenes obviously don't happen back to back to back, but they build, you know, year after year. And then the second game with Iowa, it's really tight, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's a one point game right at the end. They actually won that 86 to 68. So a 16 point game, they beat Iowa. They were, um, in the movie, is, they were down 16 and a half. So, which is funny to me because they play the rest of the movie like they're underdogs, which. I get that. That's a trope. But if you be the number four team in the country by 16 points um, and you're number two going into the, the tournament, I don't think you're the underdog. Yeah, it's not. I mean, even they don't just play them in the movie like that. If you look up anything about this 1965-66 uh, Texas Western team, it's like it's the most unprobable or like unpredictable national champion ever. And And if you actually look at apparently – the, the actual annuals and the actual history books, they were beating the dog piss out of pretty much everybody that they played. So um, there's also a really great scene in here, um, and Dan added some context to, to this for me, but it really stuck out to me. Um, it's when Bobby Joe gets caught with his with his little lady friend up on top of the, the dorm room, I'm guessing, and he's putting whole romantic smooths on them. They're on honor. There's some candle lights out there. You know, they're looking over the El Paso uh, sunset there's some music playing in the background and coach shows up and it's because Bobby Joe was out the night before but coach trailed him after the game as Dan was telling me because I was just like man you're not allowed to get some not allowed to, to chase some tail after a, a, a big win like what's going on here and come to find out yeah I wasn't paying attention as closely as I thought I was um, but there's a great quote that Haskins delivers as he's making Bobby Joe run the stadium stairs, right, for going out and, and not making ba basketball his focus. And he's just talking about him. He's like – he's talking to him, and, and Bobby Joe's bent over about to puke his guts out. And he just tells him, he's like, look, man, my dad was a truck driver for most of his life. And for most of – for the better part of his life, and for most of his life he didn't enjoy what he did. But he did what he had to do so that his kids could do what they loved for a living. And I love this game. And it stuck out to me because – my, da my dad works with his hands. My dad grinds his butt off, and, and he has established his life for people like me and, and his kids to do what they love, right, to, to, to chase their passions. My brother is a high school baseball coach and a trainer and, and loves the game of baseball. That's what he does for a living. I love giving opinions and, and, and having fun and producing content and talking about any sport that I can get my hands on and especially love watching the game of football. And now I do that for a living. And this spoke to me because I think that's that's kind of the American – one of the American dreams. There's a whole lot of them, right? But one of the American dreams is to 
create a, create a lifestyle for your people underneath you, right? For your next of kin, um, for the people that are, you know, coming after you to make sure that they can pretty much do and have the freedom to do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, and I know that's, that's kind of a, a fairy tale dream. Not everyone gets to do that. Um, but people like me are lucky enough to do that because of people like my father. And I think that is just an opportunity for me to talk about that right here. Um, and I know my pops don't listen to this, but if he ever did, um, I, I would, I'm greatly appreciative for him And this, this moment right here in this movie really stuck out to me off that one line. Um, but no, after that, and now I'm off of my, my sentimental, any, any thoughts on that guys, any thoughts on that scene? No. I mean, just I can't. I can't say it better than you said it. Appreciate it. Um, no, after that we beat. They beat Iowa, um, and then we get the party scene, which had the, the 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 like Cam said, the most truest like portrayal of how this actually happens when uh, you know you're introduced to a different culture than what you have grown up in, and he calls him Mayberry Jerry, right? Um, our boy Armstrong is is getting culturalized out on the front porch while they're drinking some brew some bruchachos um, there in El Paso, um, and he's explaining to him what the word bad means. Right, bad is good, and, and Jerry Armstrong's like, "What? What? I thought bad was bad." And he's like, "No, nah, Mayberry Jerry, bad is good." Um, and I also had a note here: um, the big white dude with the glasses. Okay, big white dude with the glasses and scam laughs so hard he knocks his helmet off or knocks his headset off. Well, hear me out now because you guys have both met this individual that I'm going to talk about. Big white dude with the glasses is Ditko. He is 100% Ditko. That is my take. <laughs> and that is I can a see that. That is a very inside joke for the people who know our Discord and know our Patreon family, but he is Ditko. That, that, is, that is the big white dude with the glasses, 100%. He He's even got Ditko's trash talking game. Yes, he does. And he's got Ditko's basketball game, for that matter. I mean, very very, um, very lethargic, very lumbering out on the court. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I was, I was watching my big man dance up there in that party out there at El Paso. I could imagine Ditko looks a whole lot like that. Um, when, when he's in a cl- when he's in a club or when he's in a dancing environment, because I know my boy Dicko and I love my boy Dicko, but I could see this right here. Yeah, but I'm... that guy might be a little bit too smooth for Dicko because he he had that go of the flowism to him. Like when he was eating the uh, my favorite part of that whole scene was he was eating the chicken livers. He's like, man, I knew you were a brother. You love them chicken livers. And he's <laughs> like, what the hell am I eating? Like, he just stopped. He just stopped chewing, and he's like. Nah, fuck it. Just keeps chewing. I do. I I do have to give my boy Dicko some credit. Um, he has been invited to many a barbecue, and he will continue to get invited to many a barbecue because um, he's marrying into the barbecue. So shout out to Dicko, which also completes this scene because well, I think they call him Big Daddy, right? She says, "Uh, who's your big friend over there?" And uh, one of the one of the players goes, "Oh, that's Big Daddy." And he thinks he thinks she's talking about um Latin. But he's really talking. She's really talking about my boy with the glasses, and she walks over there and pulls him onto the dance floor. So that that completed the the player comp for me. Um, he is so dicko. 
I think we'll find out if Ditko listens to the podcast or not. We'll hear about I, this tomorrow. We damn sure guys. will. I would definitely hear about this when we do film study. Yeah, we we 100% will. Um, but, no, nah, that, that is 100%. Um, in my notes, I say nothing will bring you together like partying. Nothing. And as a team, man, like if I were ever coaching a college football team, and not high school because I'm not condoning underage drinking, but um, like college football teams, man, if you're not going out and getting shit house with your boys, like – Y'all probably suck. I'm just going to be honest with you. Y'all are probably not a good football team if you're not going out and having some brewskis with the boys after a dub. Um, but, no, nah, we, uh, where, we, where are we at now? We get a montage of a bunch of wins, right? A bunch of wins. Um, and we get some, some, uh, some bonding on the bus, I believe, right? They're playing some music. Um, they're having all some good times. What's up, Cam? The soundtrack for this movie is fantastic. It's a Disney movie, so yeah, you can write that one down on any Disney movie. We're going to have a great soundtrack on pretty much every Disney movie. Correct, Dan? Unlimited budget. Yeah, unlimited budget, and they can pretty much just get any song that they want. Um, and then at, at that point, after the montage, we go all the way up. Well, I guess we can't skip over um, Shed getting jumped in the bathroom. Um, that is well, a very tough scene. What's up, Dan? I was going to say, the middle part of this movie... Uh, again, they're trying to make you extremely uncomfortable, highlighting all the issues that they had to face, all the things you know that complicate the story. It's not just about basketball, and and that's the most unfortunate thing about all of these stories, right? It doesn't matter what sport it is. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a sport. It's just the whole civil rights movement. It, it's never about one thing, and it can never be about one thing, and it's never as simple as. We have something that we have to overcome, so let's just really focus on it. It's, it's, it's so uncomfortable because we've never had to go through it, but they're getting hit from every angle, right? Yeah. It's like like in a fight, you you like you know where your attacker is coming from, but if you're getting jumped, you're getting jumped from every angle, and there's no way to defend yourself. And I think that was the part that struck me the first time that I saw this. And it listen. I'm not naive. I, I understand all the things that people went through, but I think this movie just keeps hitting you. It's like an assault. All the racial slurs throughout the entire movie, it's constant. It's like it almost seems like it's it's over the top. But I think that's the attitude that they were coming with is they just want you they, they want to engulf you in their world for just two seconds where you you get that uncomfortableness where you're like it doesn't ever stop. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? Can we just get yeah. two minutes of, of peace? And, and, and they can't, and it's not there. And it's just, that's the whole bridge of this movie. You have the basketball part, you get a montage, and it's just, they just bludgeon the hell out of you with all this stuff. And, and I understand why they do it. And then and honestly, Dan, I, th I that's to me, that's one of the purposes of this movie. And one of the absolutely. purposes of these types of discussions around this topic you are made, especially as white men and, and white people in general, you are supposed to be made uncomfortable by these conversations because I damn sure you, the people who actually had to go through them, it was fucking uncomfortable. Pardon my language. It was really uncomfortable. And, and having these conversations being forced into these feelings is meant to be uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's not okay. If you are not left feeling uncomfortable, if you can just go through these situations, if you can go through watching these things happen and be left unfazed, that is the issue. The fact that you have the uncomfortable ability, a it's healthy. B it is discussion provoking, which is the entire point 
of having these types of things go on in these movies to make people realize, oh shit, like I had the realization moment. And, and, and I've had these before. It's like, bro, this was 1965. This was 55, 60 years ago. This was not that long ago. It is uncomfortable and it should be made uncomfortable. Cam, what do you have? And I think one of the great things they do, especially with that scene and the scene following it, that makes it not gratuitous, right? That's not it's not there for shock value and you know it's instructive, is because you have um Bobby Joe afterwards and, and they're talking about we're this is something we have to live with, right? This is this isn't just a one off, this isn't just something that's happened way out of the blue. You know, that he says when we're traveling in the South, nobody goes alone, right? We always yeah. go in twos. This and and basically they understand that like as it, it's sad because I mean you can just kind of feel the hopelessness but but they're doing something and and you can just see the strength it takes to go through something like that that no matter how hard it is we're gonna keep doing what we want to do and I think they hit that there and they hit that again in another scene later in the it's, movie it's not they even really, that it's not even that far later they go through well, basically one more game right that's true. they, they yeah, lose well, their first game to East Texas State um, to basically to lose their their undefeated streak um, and we get the whole t- the hotel scene right where the where the blood's all over the walls um, and Latin has a really strong quote. Um, in this movie or in this scene right here where they're on the bus right because they get them directly on the bus they say we're going to Seattle tonight and um, the small point guard I forgot his name um, but he's in Wormsley 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 looks at Latin and goes because Latin's the big mythical character right Um, it says you know are you ever scared man like what's going on are you ever scared and he says quote when I was a kid in Houston a white gang strung me out on a fire escape until I peed my pants when I came down I never took nothing from nobody ever again but this is different. This is worse. This is the whole world. And that scene right there, that scene for me sunk in that like how just truly how difficult it was for the trailblazers in this world, whether it's sports, right? Whether it's the Jackie Robinsons of the world, whether it's the Texas Westerns of the world or in real life, whether it's the Rosa Parks of the world, the Martin Luther's of the world, just how hard it was and how lonely it was at a lot of these points and, and, frankly, how terrifying it was to be one of these people and, and how much courage it took um, and how much strength it took to be one of these trailblazers when we're talking about the whole world, right? Because you, you are the you know, minority. That's the definition. So the college that I went to is a school called Mars Hill. And yeah. it's, in, it's in Asheville, North Carolina, just north of Asheville. Well, that is the, the, the Baptist church. It's a Baptist school. The Baptist Church there was the church that Martin Luther King Jr. gave his first speech ever, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we had a, a mandatory thing that we had to go to where they brought in some black civil rights leaders. And one of the things that they highlighted, and this is to your point, Brooks, is the amount of courage that these people had, right? People, trailblazers, people who bucked the system, right? I mean, I, I don't know that I would ever have the confidence to do it. I don't know that I would have the wherewithal these people did these things for the greater good, knowing, most of them knowing, they were probably going to die doing it. Yeah. I mean, can you? No, I can't fathom. That's I can't. what I'm saying. It, it, it was a real realization. And like I said, it shouldn't take a, a, a freaking Disney movie for me to come to these points of realization. But sometimes that's what it takes to drill these things home for dummies like me. Cam, what do you got? Um, and just to go and like highlight how uncomfortable it is to talk about this stuff, even today, and how important it is. 
Um, so ETSU is now actually Texas A&M Commerce. Um, no. I don't know why schools in that area change their name so often. Um, they actually sued Disney over the production of this movie um, in 2016 because they felt like they were unfairly portrayed by being linked to that scene. Um, they settled out of court, so I don't know how the lawsuit went or anything like that. Um, but just to go, it just highlights how uncomfortable even today – we don't like to talk about this stuff, but that shows how important it is because it's like you said, it's not that far ago. And we, we, we've got to talk about it. We've got to address it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and bury things in our history books that were 65 years ago. That's not what I'm going to do. And better yet, I'm not going to, I don't think you should bury anything that's in your history books. It's your history. You should be able to openly talk about it. You should be able to have these types of discussions. Um, it's very, very vital uh, for these types of things. There's also another extremely powerful scene Right after that, Cam, do you want to say something about that before we move on? I, I was going to say, well, in defense of the university, it is a fictitious. Um, that yes. portrayal was yes. fictitious, but it's indicative of what happened. So it's not blown out of proportion by any means. So they, they go up to Seattle and they don't play that great of a game. Um, and there's there's an argument. There's no other way to put it. There's an argument between the players in the locker room um, and Armstrong. Basically, they're, they're having a debate about, you know, whether or not. Basically, basically, who's the one having a tough time in this, right? The black players or the white players? And Armstrong stands up and says, the white power forward, stands up and goes, you think it's, be you think it's easy being on this team, taking a back seat to you every day? We came here to play basketball just like you guys. Now it feels like we don't even count. We are the minority. A, I don't know about you guys. I've heard people my color say that shit. I have. I have heard it. I have heard it repeated. I have heard it said um, sometimes even in my household growing up. So it ain't far from the, the God's honest truth hearing someone say that. Um, and then I can't remember who it is that, that, that retorts with him. He says, I don't want to hear it from you, farmer. I have been the minority every day of my life. And you're crying because you spent the last few months of your life in our shadows. And then the point guard it's looks Harry. at him and says, yeah, it's Harry says that. And then the point guard, what's the point guard's name, Dan? Wormsley. Wormsley looks at him and says, Welcome to the back of the bus, white boy, which is the I mean, it is the the gut punch to the end of this scene. But I think the best part about this scene and you really have to pay attention to it is that when Harry says that to Armstrong, they cut back to him immediately. They, the camera cuts back to him. He doesn't say anything, but you can see this this moment of ref, like realization on his face, too. He's like, oh, oh, shit. Now now I understand what it feels like to be maybe not necessarily in the limelight, but to play second fiddle when this these people have been playing second fiddle their entire lives. And you see that moment of realization, and for me, that really nailed home the scene. It's a great job by the producers just getting that camera angle. And, for that matter, great job by the actor that's playing Armstrong to, 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 to do that to his face because you can see that he has that moment of realization. Yeah, Cam. I think this scene does that scene does a great job of showing you that it's not like a switch you flip, you know, like yeah. that you have the scenes early in the movie. They're hanging out, they're buddies. And obviously when all this stuff happens, he's there for them. When, when they're coming out of the diner with shed, he's a part of it. He's with the team. He's, you know, helping protect him, take care of shed. But you know, you st he's still got those feelings inside. Right. Yeah. And it, it takes work every day to overcome, you know, your biases and stuff like that. It's not just, you know, a, sw a switch you flip overnight and you change. So I thought that was really good to highlight the, the work it takes to change. 
All right, we got a we got a uh, we got a whole national championship run before we even get into categories, and we're running deep. But I expected us to have a, a longer podcast here, and honestly, I hope we're not draining on the audience. But um, I, I'm enjoying these conversations, um, and I think we should continue having them. But we get into the final four, right? They lose their last game of the regular season going in um, to the fight, you know the. NCAA tournament essentially I don't know how big it was back in the day but it appears based off this movie to only be a final four um, we get a game against Kansas right where Jojo White um, and Wesley are the first opposing black players that we see them play which according to Cam's research is not a, a completely true about this time period they had played a few black players on opposing teams before but they were really the first majority um, black players basketball team um we get an overtime game as well they call hanging on the rim which is you know 100 percent bullshit um and then you know you get some more uh tricky referee play there with jojo white stepping out of bounds um yeah any thoughts on the kansas game before we get into the national title scene i just think it was i just think it was um really the first time they tried to show you that Bobby Joe Hill was as good as anybody else because at yeah. no other point was he really challenged, but he was going kind of one-on-one and they, they made it a point to show that it was, they were trading blows, you know, going back and forth, you know, and like now it's Bobby Joe Hill's chance to go down yeah. and score. And, he, you know, so I, I think they, you, the purpose of that game, in my opinion, was to illustrate how good, Bobby Joe Hill was. I was very hot and cold on the announcers, by the way. I was up and down on them the whole entire movie. I thought sometimes they did a good job, sometimes they didn't. Um, well, they were things. using him as a narrator. Yeah. That was the whole point of use, bringing the announcer into the game because um, I have done announcing and you would no way fucking ever say the stuff that he says so you just wouldn't do that right so we learned the audience learned some more about dan kylie today cam you already knew that i said the audience bro i Uh, knew you called high school football games now the audience knows so you've been a triple a umpire you've been a middle school football coach you've been a, a high school pa guy you've been a high school radio guy um we'll learn some more about you as we go further in these episodes yeah cam hockey player Oh, hockey player too! Holy shit, we learned that you were uh, an amateur hockey player in your mid twenties. That was nuts it's, to it's, find out. It's it's just like rec hockey. It's not even a big deal. Oh, now he's humble, humble hockey player Dan Kylie. Put it on your tombstone. Um, no, I'm I'm good. I'm good with the Kansas game. Um, even though there was some great coach speaking there about you know some people say he's the best in the country. If I had to pick between you and him, I'd take you. And then he hits him on the chest and on the butt and lets him go. <laughs> Love it. You know, I was like, well, there, there wasn't. There was the uh, Kentucky game. No, because it wasn't. he said, no, yeah, he it, has, was, well, it, it was against Jojo no, White. No, because he says, well, that's good, coach, because you knew he wouldn't. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. That's on me, bro. That's on me. Let's talk about uh, the national title run. We get, we get well, a. Uh, what's up? Before you do that, you have to talk about the portrayal of of at Alpha. We do. We have to do that, and we have to talk about the worst pregame speech I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> from Haskins where he, you know, basically throws out all the racist things they've heard all year in a very, very, very serious tone that nobody in the room, including the audience of the movie, understands what he's doing until he goes, aren't you tired of hearing that crap? Because I am too. And I'm like, whoa. But luckily Armstrong saves it. But um, Armstrong hits him with the 
Show them how bad five brothers can be on the court. I love that. That was a callback to one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, but, yeah, the the portrayal of Adolph Rupp, I'll, I'll let you guys hit on this one. Um, Dan, we'll start with you because you're our basketball historian. Tell us about Rupp. So one of the biggest things, and this is the kind of the back and forth in the University of Kentucky was really up in arms about it, is Kentucky kind of had to deal with a lot of backlash with Rupp being this – racist bigot and you know and they kind of had to come to that realization but then at the same time he wasn't necessarily and his his family was really upset about it john voight um did a lot of research in rush probes yeah the the one of the biggest things the the biggest advantage that voight had going for him is there is very very little video of him period so the, in in a lot of still photography, he doesn't really capture him that well. The only thing that he really had to go off of was audio. There is audio of him speaking, so he he was able to pattern the speech. But the, his son, uh, Rupp's son, was really really unhappy with the portrayal of his dad being a racist. Because was it just me? I remember watching this movie when it first came out. I felt like they made him even more racist than the Disney Plus version that I watched tonight. I, I remember coming away, and I watched it tonight, and I was like, I, I don't see a whole lot of it, right? There's some boy stuff in there that's completely uncomfortable. There's some things that he says about, you know, you saw who they put out there, so you know what they're going to do. They're going to try to run. I mean, he was doing some of these things, but it wasn't like outwardly like, you know, hard er and out here doing anything like that. No, no, no. But I, I remember watching it at first and thinking, Damn, Adolph Rupp's a racist. But now I'm like, yeah, he's got racist tones, but he's not like blatantly racist. He's just 1965 white coach racist, if that makes well, any I think, sense. I think the biggest issue is that they don't even mention the fact that he went out and tried to recruit black players during this time frame, right? They make it act they they make it seem like he was not interested in black players at Kentucky and you know he had a, listen, he had a really good team. And in some of the comments that he makes, okay, in fairness, like if we're being completely objective, right? If you were coaching basketball and they put five black players on the floor and you said they're going to try to run, that's not racist. That's trying to freaking coach to win a damn game. I guess and it would was, be no more racist than watching five white guys go out there and go, oh, well, they're going to shoot you to death. Absolutely, and you would be right to say that. I mean, they may prove you wrong through the course of the game, but if that's what you have to go off of, that's what you have to go off of, and that's what um, Rupp's son is on the record of saying, my father was guilty of one thing, trying to win a basketball game, and that's it. It's a, it's a hard quote from the young man. What do you got, Cam? Well, I think, I mean, you do have to – there's some liberties taken in a movie setting because a movie needs a villain, right? Yeah. And throughout the whole movie so far, the villain is kind of an abstract concept, right? It's it's racism, and we see real examples of it, but it's hard to put a face on it. Um, and then so at the end, when they're, when they're going to triumph, you have to try, triumph over something. And just by his nature of being the guy at the end, he kind of becomes the face for the racism they face throughout the movie. Um, so I kind of get where you're both coming from. Like when you first watch it, because he is the, you know, the personification of that, of that ideal throughout the movie, he is racist. But when you go back and watch it, 
it's not as bad as you thought because it's not as pro- uh, it's more the idea than than him, if that makes sense. Now, the original script did have a lot of racist uh, innuendos, not innuendos, but actual racial slurs. And John Voight, after speaking to Rupp's son, had all of those things removed from the script. He refused to say them. He, he basically told Disney that I will remove myself from this film if I have to say these things. because I, I can't believe Rush Prost has got that kind of character, man. Well, the, there was there was never a record of him ever saying that publicly. Now, listen, behind the closed doors, he might have been as bad as they come. Okay, so I please don't attack me and say that I'm defending a, a, a staunch racist. I'm not doing that. Okay, I'm just saying there is no record of him saying anything like that in a press conference or anything like that. So to put it in those press conferences would have been wrong. Okay, and that was the stance that Void took. Gotcha. Um, they obviously go on to win a national title. What's up, Cam? Oh, I was just going to say it's interesting um, how much you said there's not a lot of video of him in these settings, um, but there was video of the game. And so it was interesting to know, um, like the, the one of the things that I saw mentioned, if you watch the video, um, I looked it up because I wanted to know how close the basketball was to mm-hmm. how the games turned out. And it's actually very close. Like, so the opening shot where he throws it down, they, they went out there and did that. Um, but if you look so- on the side – Okay, let me yeah. interrupt you right here. The executive producer on this movie for basketball was Pat Riley, who played in that game. So that was one of my things. When they he kept talking about Pat Riley, I'm like, that Pat Riley? There's, so only, there's only one, baby. There's only yeah. one Pat Riley, dog. I'm going to tell you that right now. He, he was the executive producer of all basketball in this game. So if you want to know why the basketball looks so good, why it was so realistic, why they held true, especially in that game, is because Pat Riley was in charge of the basketball. And was the sexiest man on the set. I can guarantee you that right now. Pat well, Riley. Look at, the kid, it, look at the kid they had playing him. He was the best-looking kid on the floor. Had to be. I mean, he absolutely had to be. I mean, Pat Riley, a true hooper. I mean, a, a shock to some, Pat Riley gets buckets. I mean, that's that's a fact. No doubt about it. Um, but, nah, they go on to win a national title. Hoorah, hoorah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas Western. Anything else before we move on? Oh, I know what. I got to say something before we move on to the categories. Cam, do you have anything? Oh, I was just going to say the only – so we kind of talked about it before. So the only other Eddie Lacy I had um, in this movie is the coach walking on the court. No way. You the have game. the same one. Yep, I have yeah. the same one. Before the national – why do we need that? I don't need you up there looking at the lights in the in, in, on the national title court. But it's – I have it written down. That's such a movie thing, like yeah. a sports movie thing. I, I don't know why – Maybe that's something coaches do. I've never coached. Um, I know Dan has, so maybe he can enlighten us. But I, who does that? I, I didn't have any problems with the wife in this movie because I thought she was necessary. But Cam was telling me he thought she was Eddie Lacy before the, the show started. And honestly, we've gone an hour at this point and haven't spoken about the wife. So that kind of tells you that she is Eddie Lacy. Um, we didn't really need her in the entire movie. But um, oh. she has some great moments. What's up, Dan? I- I would say the only thing that she does bring to the table, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but a coach's wife is a special person. You are and damn coach, right, and she is a tough woman. You can tell and, from the jump. But you can there, – there's a one scene, and this is probably Eddie Lacy's scene for, for Cam, but there's a scene when he comes home from practice and he's just overwhelmed, and she just reads it in his body language, and she just – she lets him – give her a kiss and she goes it was that bad huh 
And like, that's something about a coach's wife. Look, when you're coming home from practice or whatever the case may be, she can see it on you without ever talking. And it, it it's just it's a it's a real thing. And I think they did a really good job of capturing it in that one scene. Maybe she's irrelevant for the rest of the movie, but in that one scene, she does a good job of portraying that understanding where when a coach comes home he has that level of and support you know, you know what i don't i don't think it just has to be coaches wives either I, i'll throw a shout out to my wife here when i was really into like working my hard labor job when i came home and and i was beat like beat mentally and physically it didn't take long for her to understand it either um so i mean yeah shout out shout out to Haley austin right there on that one cam what do you got and I will say that is one thing I did mention in that conversation is that she's there to show, yeah. you know, that, that relationship. But I want to, I wonder if the reason that that's portrayed in the movie is that it's based off the coach's um, autobiography. Yeah. And I, I was hoping to get a chance to read it and I hadn't quite got it, but I've gotten the sense so far from what I've, I've been through of it, that he talks a lot more about that relationship than they even showed. In the and book. it was Right. And, it, and so it was very important to have it in the movie um, because it's in the book. But as far as like if you had to cut scenes from this movie, you could you could cut this. All right. So here's what I got to say before we get into categories. Let me just run down a, a list of bullet points. OK. First time that he actually gets to talk to all of his players. We basically get the equivalent of you miss a blocking assignment. You run a mile. You fumble my football, I break my foot off in your John Brown hind parts, and then you run a mile. We also get a scene in the dorms where the roommates are getting to know each other, and there's music playing, and there's posters of women on the walls. Okay, we get that too. Um, we even have a scene where Latin, one of the main physical, like, dominant dudes in the movie, one of the most, like, physically uh, intimidating people in the movie, is sweet-talking a woman on the phone. We get that as well. Yeah, yep, uh-huh. Go ahead, Dan. Sing that shit. Um, we also have a scene, right, where they're bonding over music together on the bus. I mean, that's a dead trope from a movie that we're going to talk about. Oh, and uh, we have a main character and a main player having a life-altering injury-slash-diagnosis of an enlarged heart, um, a.k.a. Gary Bertier. This is Remember the Titans. Like, it, it is the football version of Remember the Titans, and Cam's going to tell you why right now. Cam, why is it the football or the basketball version of Remember the Titans? It's the same producer, Jerry Bruckheimer. But you missed the biggest one. So when they're all getting to know each other at the cafeteria table, oh yeah, and they're introducing, I'm the forward. Yeah, yeah. I'm the starting forward. Running back, y'all. Yeah, yeah like right. we, we get them all. I mean, we get them all. We get every single one. Um, and this is only three years removed from remember the Titans actually coming out. So the producer was really not taking time off from making direct references to one of the greatest sports movies of all time uh, in Remember the Titans. So, yeah, it's a dead ripoff of an actual event uh, in an actual season, uh, and they movie they, they Hollywood it up really, really well. Let's get into some categories because these are long overdue. Let's try to be quick here, guys. We'll start with 1980, um, Tired Line. This is our Tired Line segment. Um, I'm going to go with any quote referencing intelligent basketball wins. I hated it every single time it was talked about. Um, I also hated all the quit showboating stuff that Haskins was doing in the movie. Um, you know, dribbling behind the back when someone's going for a steal on your dominant hand is not showboating. It's just making a basketball play. And I think we understand that now. We probably didn't in the 60s. That's why it should be titled 1965 in this movie because a lot of this stuff is tired. Any other 1980s stuff? Dan, we'll start with you. 
So the one for me uh, that I don't like is you play like a girl. Uh. I, I'm I'm so over you play like a girl. I, I have a daughter, and for me, play like a girl means played hard. I mean, I I, I, I know maybe I'm just sensitive because I, I I don't know. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. I just it's just tired. You play like a girl. I mean, but we're all guilty of it. I've said it. I mean, you said it. We've all said it. But just tired of it. Cam. Um, just his Dabo impression at the beginning with the no, uh, no girls, no booze, no staying up late. Um, yeah. just, just being a, you know, an old guy coach. All right. Now this is a loaded, probably the most loaded category. Actually, we'll save this one for the end. Kevin Sandler. Let's go to this one. Um, it, to me, it's Willie Cager. Um, I, I, the, the reverse dunk at the end of the movie is absolutely nasty. Now I don't know if they were playing on eight and a half foot rim, eight foot rim. I don't really care. Boy was booming the entire movie. Um, any other recommendations here? I know you said you didn't like the jump shot, but I got to go Derek Luke. Booby You're going Miles. Bobby Joe Hill, Booby yeah. Miles. I I, I I thought Bobby Joe was. I mean, he's seemed like a good body handler or a ball handler. I'm thinking they were using a body double there on a lot of that stuff based off the jump shot I saw later in the movie. You will notice that there is nothing but layups. And, and stuff like that from Bobby Joe Hill's character the entire movie until the very end when he shoots a jump shot against uh, Duke or uh, excuse me Kentucky, and it looks awful. It looks like he is uh, setting a ball in the air for a volleyball spiker. I mean, it is terrible. So, that was the plan. All, That's the coaching. All the basketball was good. Cager was good. Right, well, Cager was good. Worsley was good. I mean, even though Sam Jones. There's no way he's a real point guard, but I mean, <laughs> how can you go against Latin? I mean, first of all, he was my man, other. He was my other one. He for played sure. professionally. The actor or in real life? The the actor. Okay, yeah. I mean, he's booming the entire movie. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah, I mean, but it, you know, if Latin's not it, then it's definitely Cager. Because Cager was a badass. All right, we'll we'll give it a tie there. Um, Nolan Ryan. You know, I don't think anyone was really overacting in this movie. I don't think anyone came in trying to steal it. Um, but for me, it's the assistant coach, the stats guy, a.k.a. B-Rabbit from 8 Mile. He has some scenes in this movie, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe some people just realize that that's who that is. That is B-Rabbit from 8 Mile, by the way. Um, and he does some goofy things, right? I mean, when he gets his car stolen and all of his clothes stolen off of him in New York, that's hysterical. But he also has some, like, Real weird sounds that he makes throughout the entire movie. I like real weird sounds, and you got to go back and really listen to it, pay attention to it to hear them. Uh, but B Rabbit goes Nolan Ryan for me. Dan, do you have anything for Nolan Ryan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Red West, the uh, trainer slash. Oh yeah, he's throwing smoke. Advisor. He's throwing smoke. Oh, he comes in coming hot. They open up the door, and he's got animal carcasses all over <laughs> the a, damn place. A, a damn alligator hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> He's like, well, you know what? That's it. I just made up my mind. The kid loves the gator. The gator's staying. You guys get to keep the gator. <laughs> Where's he killing a gator in El Paso, by the way? That's what I, I want to know. know. But it, that, 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 is the, that is the definition of throwing smoke. I'll give you that one. Cam, do you have anything? You can't beat that. No, I can't. I was going to say uh, Big Daddy, uh, number 54. Uh, we talked about him at the house party, but my favorite part of him is the ETSU game where they're going off the court and he just yeah. blows the kiss as he walks away. <laughs> he also says something like, Coach sends his condolences or something like that. Yeah, he's got – old Dicko's throwing smoke in this movie for sure. Um, let's do Teen Wolf. 
okay, uh, before we do ball braggart. I'll tell you this much. Um, for what I know 1965 basketball looks like and how just painstakingly unathletic it looks like for the most part, they did a pretty good job of conveying that. I mean, there's not much to pick off here from Team Wolf. Dan? I mean, the the worst sports moment of the thing is – I mean, they is they added some levity, but when he he tells the um, the white kid to do the layup, and oh. then they they, <laughs> they clown his ass. Yeah, it's like, bro, hold on, time out, dude. A Division One basketball player is not gonna look like. I mean, in so, the sixties, he would have. In the sixties, he would have. Maybe okay, maybe I guess. Nah, not, Cam. Do you have anything for Team Wolf? Yeah, so I was just going to ask Dan because uh, he's the resident basketball guy. The alley oop in this period of basketball because they seem to end abs on the alley oop like crazy. Uh, in the Kansas game, they go to overtime on an alley oop. Did you uh, see the? By the way, I don't, I don't mean to stop you here. Did you see the Giannis Antetokounmpo like flex after from Latin to end the game? Yeah, I mean it looks just like Giannis. I mean, a hundred percent. Like he even does the little stare at the camera. Go ahead, Cam. But yeah, and then so they follow that up going into make it to the second overtime with an alley oop. And, you know, obviously they win on the foot out the line, but that just seemed excessive. Like that's just a movie moment, not a real sports moment. To I me. don't, and don't quote I can't me wait to do semi pro. I, I can't I, wait to I, do semi pro. I might be way wrong, but I don't, I don't think. I, I don't think there were alley oops. People the, just I mean, can't go flying through the air like that, Jackie. <laughs> I was going to say, like Brooke said, Jackie Moon hadn't invented it yet at this point. His mom hadn't come to him in a dream and told him, Reese, you will Reese win fifth place. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon invented the alley oop. I don't get that reference. She was the mom in semi pro, dude. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're 100% oh, right. I'm God. sorry. That's on me. Just, that's yeah, on me. You're gonna have to get yeah. that in post edit. Yeah, you're right. We're gonna have to get that in post. Nah, we'll leave it in. I don't do much editing on this if the audience hasn't realized <laughs> no, that by don't. now. <laughs> I don't. Um, but you know, that's I, I I'm gonna stay true to the form of the podcast guy. Um, that's just the way I roll. Um, but nah, not much left for Team Wolf. Let's go to Ball Braggart. Um, I'm supposed to believe the guy that hadn't played for three quarters of the season because he had a heart condition comes in and hits his first jumper. Are you shitting me? I'm supposed to believe that. Are you serious? Could happen. That, I mean, that could happen. No, it couldn't. Cam, what do you got? Okay, so actually, one of the other things. So they he misses half the season in the movie. Guess how many games he actually missed um, in real life? Three. Three. Two out of uh, 29 one. games he played in 27. <laughs> yeah, they didn't give a um, damn about that kid's heart. But they. <laughs> well, I'm assuming they found out, and then his mom, you know, made him play. Maybe. Which we didn't talk about that. That's an awesome scene. The mom's like, yeah. just just let him play. Yeah. If he dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. Um, if he dies. It, it, any more ball braggart? I got a couple no. more. I mean, it was a pretty tight movie. I'm I'm telling you right now, they would have called out of bounds immediately on JoJo White. They would. I mean, I understand it's a movie, and you got to have some some suspense or whatever. But as soon as his foot hits the line, the referee would have called it immediately. He'd have blown his whistle. It'd have been dead play. Correct or incorrect? Well, I think they play that up for the dramatic tension to have yes. that moment in the press conference. Yes. Any more ball braggart? Yeah. So I'm not, you know, intimately 
familiar with women's basketball in the 1960s, but I did stumble across on my internet research that women's basketball wasn't five on five like they show in the very beginning. Hmm. It was actually nine on nine. What? And you had a you had a specific zone that you had to stay in, and you couldn't leave the zone. So it was actually nine on nine um, until the 70s. In 71, um, college basketball um, switched over to five on five for women's basketball. And it was sometime in the 70s or 80s that high schools transitioned to that. That's absolutely nuts. So the only real brawl bragger that I have is they kept multiple times. I I would be willing to bet you you could go to nine or ten different times they referenced uh, Bobby Joe Hill pulls up from 25 feet, da-da-da. They really weren't shooting from that distance back then. No. There was no three-point line, so there was no point in shooting from that distance. They, If you go back and watch even NBA film from that time, they didn't very, very rarely did anybody pull up from that deep. I got one for you. Um, in the national title game, at one point they show the scoreboard. It's 15-15 to 15 with five minutes left in the first quarter, first half, right? Two minute or two 20-minute halves in college basketball. It's 15-15 to 15 with five minutes left in the first half. They end halftime at thirty four thirty one. That's I mean, they, in five minutes they scored as more as much as they did in the first fifteen minutes of the quarter or in the half. That's a bit much for me. It could happen. I guess it's basketball. It's a game of runs, but it seemed like a defensive struggle. Yeah, I guess both teams got hot. So that one kind of got me. I'm weird like that. Um, the other thing I'm really weird about the entire movie, Haskins brings them in and breaks them down right and, and says on three. And then they go, you know, one, two, three, and they say whatever they're going to say in a typical in a typical break, right? But typically, you tell the people that you're breaking down with what you're breaking down on, right? Um, which most of the movie it was minors. At the end of the movie, they changed it up out of nowhere. I think it was like finish or something other corny. But to me, when you say on three, you got to say what you're going to say, right? It's like family on three, minors on three, um, go dogs on three. It's something on three. Um, a lot of publicity for a competitor that's entering the space um, in my in my business right now with this on three stuff. Um, but no, you get it. That, that, that was a ball bracket for me type of thing. It's like, hey, it's minors on three, not just on three, one, two, three. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on away from ball bracket. Um, seems like a, a relative, like Dan said, a pretty tight movie. We'll finish with uh, Coach Speak. Charlie Tweeter, a.k.a. Cam Newton. Um, this is our one-liner category. Um, not a whole bunch of them here. Um, but I love the football is key here. Basketball sucks the hind tit earlier in the movie. Um, just a funny line to me out of nowhere. Um, if this is God's country, then God obviously don't want no neighbors. That was funny to me when they're on the bus coming from New York, um, seeing the desert basically for the first time. Any of you guys have any one-liners? Are we doing coach speak? We're going to do it at the end because this is okay, a movie loaded with coach speak. All right, so my favorite, one of my favorite one-liners uh, was where he said uh, – Leave the um, oh crap, hold on, give me two seconds. Um, <laughs> leave the style to the barbershop, just show me you belong in the NCAA. Yeah, I don't know why that one hit me, but that one was funny to me. 1965 fades at the barbershop weren't that exquisite, I'm gonna be honest with you, but I guess your barber does style your hair, so that makes sense. Cam, one liners, what do you got? Oh, uh, leave, uh, go put on your uh, red hat and grab your lantern and go stand in the front yard. <laughs> 
because <laughs> he's um, a gnome. So, so <laughs> yeah, because he's a gnome. There's some great, like, early in the movie, they're, like, joning on each other, which is hysterical. Another one of those was um, when Wormsley meets Latin for the first time, and Latin hands him his briefcase, um, and he goes, man, I'm going to punch that guy in the mouth. And then his buddy goes, now, let's be honest, man. It would take three men your size to rip that boy's picture in half. <laughs> That's a great got, one-liner. What's up, Dan? I got one more, which is, um, he says, don't you ever uh, interrupt me uh, when I'm entertaining a lady. He goes, I told you, when the vent is open, it's too hot for you. <laughs> <laughs> when the vent is open, it's too hot for you. Another great one for Bobby Joe Hill. They're going to the very first night they go out partying in Mexico. They walk into that bar and everybody goes quiet and they're freaking out. And he goes, um, everybody trying to look Mexican. And then the guy standing next to him goes, bro, I'm 6'3". And then Bobby Joe Hill looks at him and goes, well, try to look like three Mexicans then. <laughs> Any more Charlie Tweeter before we move forward? You guys are searching for him. Uh, I've ran through all mine. Uh, this it's not a, a loaded category. It's a, it's a lot of coach speak here. No more. Oh, uh, oh, what's up? When uh, Armstrong catches him sneaking out and just yells, "Are y'all going to church?" <laughs> He's like, "Shh!" And then they all go party together. I guess they finally let you like they allow the players to convey that coach lives in the same dorm as them. Be kind of hard to sneak out um, when that's the case. All right. We've already done Kevin Sand. We've done Team Wolf, Ball Braggart, Nolan Ryan, Charlie Tweeter. We're going to finish with over, under, properly rated. Let's get to coach speak. Um, it's basically anything Haskins says during a game. I mean, it's just B-roll of coach speak. 100% B-roll of coach speak. Can't, or Dan, what do you got? So I have two. I have one from Haskins and one from Rupp. The one from Haskins, uh, I use a – I use it. It's great players make simple plays. Showboating is nothing but insecurities. And that's something that I always coach to my kids is just make the, why do we have to make it more complicated than it is? Make the simple play. If they're going to give you a simple play, make the simple play. I always tell them when we come down the floor, I'm like, if we can dribble the ball down and pass it to the guy on the post and score on a layup, and we can do this every single time, we're going to do it every single time. I don't care if my guy has 100 points, you know, but that's, that's a real one. And then the the one from Rupp was um, when he was talking to his guys, he says um, something along the lines of, whenever things get tight, you guys find a way. It's not me. It's you. You always find a way to do it. Now go. He goes, like, you are going to win this game. He's like, I'm going to be honest. I, I think John Voigt mailed this the, the hell in. All of his coach speaking no, this but, is terrible. But it's that, awful. That's fine. But what I'm saying is we've all been there where your your coach is trying to convey say, that he believes in you. Right. But it's like you're going to win this game. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've used that before where you, you, you're just trying to speak it into existence, right? Where you're like, I, listen, I believe you're going to win this game. And I think, I think I the, the winner for this category, I'll save it for last, Um I thought, you know, the you want to win, you got to recruit. That's how the big boys do it. He says that to the to the assistant before he sends him to New York. Um, there's also a classic coaching trope there where he sees Bobby Joe Hill right before he gets on the bus to go to the Final Four, and he's making out with his little girl or whatever, kissing his little girl and hugging on her. And then he gets on the bus and he goes, you got basketball on your mind, Hill? Like, that's, that's coaching 101, right? You know, girls are distractions type stuff. But the winner of all winner – in terms of coach speak, and Cam will get to you in a second. 
Um, it's the you quit right now, you quit every day the rest of your life. I mean, that that is that is number one coach speak in the history of coach speak. I'll never forget. Um, I tried to quit wrestling when I was like 11 years old because I hated it. Um, mostly because I got pinned by a girl. We'll tell that story another time. Um, you learn things about me in this show too. Um, but no, I tried to quit wrestling and my, my stepdad did that one. He's like, you quit now, you'll quit on your marriage, you'll quit on your job, you'll quit everything the rest of your life because it was, is it a tra- it's a trait that you will learn. It is a trait that you learn to quit. Um, so yeah, quit, quitting, uh, quitting now, you quit the rest of your life is definitely coach speak. What's up, Dan? I think we all agree with you, but you told us before the show you were going to use that one, so we didn't. But, oh, I mean, you're right. Yeah, because no, it's, it's definitely the one. I mean, I my freshman year in high school, I wanted to quit playing football, and there was a guy named Alan Hugo, and he, he told me, if you quit football, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And, you know, if you quit now, uh, when things are hard, you're going to quit every time things get hard. And he said, and I promise you, if you don't quit, you're going to get a scholarship. And that's exactly what freaking happened. It's because you had a boomer tattooed to your leg, bro. You launched bruh. rockets, bro. I didn't. I didn't even kick at that point. Cam, do you have anything more before we do over <laughs> under properly? I, I want to hear that story, so I guess we'll have to add Foxcatcher to the list of movies to do. <laughs> oh shit! I've never. Oh, seen what a weird movie! I, I watched like five I've minutes of that, it. and I was like, "Ooh, Steve Carell, creep, creep, creepy dude in that movie." Uh, he's supposed to be though. I mean, he's 100 supposed to be a creepy dude. Um, no, nah, I got pinned by a girl. She was 13. She'd been wrestling her whole life. She actually wrestled in high school, and she was a badass. And she, yeah, pinned my shit when I was like 11 in front of all my friends. And I was like, yeah, nah, 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 nah. We done with this one. Um, and the idea of wearing a singlet when you're a, a big titted male and you're 11 years old, um, yeah, not not for me. But that that's a brief summation of the story. Let's get into over under properly rated. I think we're all going to tailgate the movie, so we can save that for the end. But it's not. I mean, it's it's a unanimous tailgate for us. Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 81%. I'm going to say it's, to me, it's underrated, and here's why. I, I think that this movie serves a, a general purpose for what we talked about tonight, the uncomfortable conversations. And I'm going to be honest. I guarantee you there are some audience members, because we have the data on this, I guarantee you there are some audience members that cut this out after 20 minutes because they don't want to have the conversation because it is uncomfortable, and they're not comfortable having it. They're just going to dodge it. They're going to be like, oh, they're talking about that. I'm off. And, and you know what? To me, that that's what this movie was. It, it's about a sports movie. It's about triumph at, you know, glory and all that. It's glory road, right? It's all about triumph. Um, but to me, I'll remember this movie forever for forcing those thoughts upon me the recollection, the, 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 the thought points and the thought provoking, um, nature of this movie is very, very important to me. Um, and that's why I hold it to a light of even higher than 81%. I'd give it about an 85 to a 90. I don't think there's much out of this movie that I would want to take away. Um, so I'm going to go underrated. Cam, we'll start with you. Dan, we'll finish with you. Um, I mean, I agree. Um, I feel like we're starting to get a trend where we're higher on a lot of these movies than uh, the general audience score. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, we grew up with sports and our sports guys, we appreciate the tropes um, for being accurate to a certain degree um, where other people just find them repetitive. Um, But I really enjoyed this movie for all the reasons you said. Um, And I mean, I don't really have a lot to add that you didn't say right there, but it's just a good movie. And, And it's not just a good movie for the message. It's entertaining. Um, yeah. we talked last week about the wife rating. My wife loved this movie. She said, she's like, yeah, I'm going to go take a shower about 10 minutes into the movie. And, uh, she didn't take a shower until 10 minutes after it was over. So, um, 
it, it grabbed her and hooked her till the end. Daniel? Well, I, I told you before this even started, this is one of my favorite movies. So, of course, I'm going to say it's underrated. But I agree with everything that you guys have said about it. it, it I don't remember watching this when it first came out and, and picking up on or really digesting the race part of it. Like I, I obviously everybody gets that part, but like, I don't remember um, absorbing it. Maybe it's just cause I'm older now. I don't know, but um, I, this movie is better. The more times you watch it, it just is. Yeah. It's, it, it, and I just love it. It's, it's just a, fa- a fantastic movie. So underrated for me, uh, a resounding tailgate from the squad here. Um, typically I leave these podcasts with some type of funny one-liner, um, or whatever. And and I'm going to reserve that for another podcast, one that's meant to make you laugh. This one was meant to make you think. Um, and I hope we did a good enough job, um, having these types of conversations because they are hard to get through. Um, I think if you, if you listen to up to this point, you've probably heard us stumble through a lot of this stuff. Um, but it's important in my mind, or at least my opinion to give it a shot. Right to, to be willing to venture into these types of discussions because the more and more we talk about them, um, the more and more comfortable they become uh, in, the, in the sense that comfortable with the history that happened and identifying it, identifying the wrongs in it, and trying our best to move forward. Um, even though you're never going to get over it, you're never going to erase it, um, but you need to be able to talk about it. Uh, you need to be able to have these types of conversations, and you need to be able to be listened about these conversations and be educated about them. Um, and I think movies like this do a good enough job of entertaining you while also making you uncomfortable. Um, and it's okay to be uncomfortable. I think that's one thing that I've learned over these years. Um, and, and if you're not uncomfortable, um, that's the problem, right? If you're just unfazed by these things, that's the issue. So I'm no philosopher. I, I don't philosophize too often. I'm just typically the hot take sports guy. Um, but I enjoyed tonight um, for, for the lack of laughs that we had. I think we had very um, important, meaningful conversations. And I hope the audience thought that too. So I appreciate you for being here on Tailgate Tapes. We will be back next week with another movie. If you have any recommendations for movies, feel free to hit us up on social media. Uh, you can find me at Brooks Austin on SI. Feel free to leave it in the comments on our podcast platform. Okay, There is an opportunity for you to comment there. Um, and, and make a suggestion on the next movie that we're going to ultimately break down. Um, break down like it's film, um, but it is. Uh, uh, anyways, the next movie that we're going to talk about. I really do appreciate you guys being here. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We will see you next week with another great movie.